Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So give me a little bit about Pete Davidson. What is it about him? He is probably more confused than most about why he is dating all these beautiful women. He literally is just like waiting for the the cane to come and pull him away. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody got to cue me or do I cue myself? Cue yourself. Okay. Let's turn those cameras off and get started. Jan Albert. Hi. Hi. Very excited about today's guest. Oh my gosh, the most excited. I want you to hear something. Yeah. Audience at home, listen to this. (laughs) These are my notes. A lot of notes. On Edie Falco. Because she does a lot. She does a lot, has been through a lot. So I really like... You know, Albert, I know probably what you want to focus on. Oh, my. Well. The Sopranos. Anytime there's any Italian-American <laughs> yes. imagery on television, you immediately liken it to the Bianchinis oh, yeah. of Bensonhurst. Yes. The gabagool of it all. Of course. We've been getting into it this morning already because we were reading about how she meditates, and we're debating it because I can't for the life of me meditate. Me either. Mark meditates religiously every day. And I can't meditate. My brain is noisy. You can meditate. Always. No. My therapist has tried to teach me to meditate for 10 years. (laughs) 10 years. And she looked at me and goes, let's just try breathing. (laughs) You know, like we're into the, let's go back to breathing. Although we did, I did make you and Mark meditate once. And you sat there holding hands and giggling for five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I can never get into it. Like, I don't understand how you do this, Albert. Like you do it every day. Yeah, every day. For how long? For 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Who's got 20 minutes? Every, 20 you wake minutes? up early. You do it in the morning. It's the first thing that happens. 20 minutes? I'd have to wake up at 4.15. You build it into your life. It becomes a habit. Where are you sitting when you do this? On the couch. Are you naked? No. Are you in a yoga position? Yeah. But wait a second. You don't... Like, for me, working out is my meditation. Like, if I work out, it clears my head. I feel good the it's next different. day. Why? Because that's for your body. That's an endorphin rush. That's not... It's for my head. Don't you think running is a form of meditation? Absolutely. Yeah. But Albert says, no, we were just talking about no, it. No, no, no. I don't say... Because Albert doesn't like to run. I don't say it's not a form of... Med- <laughs> it's not what, you, what is typically known as meditation, which is just you sitting with your thoughts for a period of time every day. I am with my thoughts when I'm running. I'm actually like really zoning in on my on thoughts. On my thoughts, yeah. I, I want to ask Edie all about this because... <laughs> we should just bring her in. Okay, so let me just give you a little bit of the stuff. Two Golden Globes. Wow. Four Emmys. Wow. Five Screen Actors Guild Awards. I'm going to set the scene for our listeners. I'm looking at her right now because she's on my computer screen. And I believe she's sitting inside of what looks like a Home Depot, but it's not. She's got wrenches. I see hammers. I see tape. I think it's a virtual background. (laughs) You think it's a virtual background? (laughs) Maybe. Let's bring her on. Edie Falco, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Hello, Edie. Tell our audience, our listeners, where you are right now. I'm in the West Village of New York City in my office. 
aka studio type thing where um, I I actually do I'm a lot of crafting. I mean, I hate that word for some reason, but uh, ever since I was little, I've liked to sew things and make them into other things. And I've been doing it my whole life. And actually, it was my therapist who suggested, why don't you give yourself an actual space to do that? And that's what this room became. See, you're farther along in your therapy. My therapist is still like, Kelly, breathe in for two and out for two. <laughs> that's great, though. I mean, that that's fantastic. And by the way, I have to say, I do not meditate every day. Okay. I know I would feel better if I did. And there are periods when I do, and my life is better. Um, but we're all struggling, the good and evil struggle yes. that, you know, we all have. What about, what about somebody like Albert who meditates 20 minutes a day every day? It's amazing. But I got to tell you, he doesn't seem that, like, to me. But can I, you imagine if he wasn't meditating what he'd see? That's true. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's good. That's actually a good point. Because when I look at him, I'm like, he seems a little fucked up. But... <laughs> a, a little. A little. I mean, I. Thank God for yeah. meditation. All right. Keep meditating, Albert. Keep meditating. So, you know, I was talking about you um, before you got here. And I really hate this phrase, an overnight sensation, because people think the Sopranos came and they discovered you walking out of a Walmart somewhere and made you a star. Right, right. But did you go to college to study acting? I did, which seemed sort of perverse at the time. Um, I went to SUNY Purchase, where a lot of people that are now working have come from. It was a very inexpensive state school, which is why I was able to go. But uh, I, the idea of like becoming an actress was so, it, it didn't seem like that's something that smart people do. I thought I'll always do plays and stuff like my mom did when I was a kid, like community theater and local stuff. And then I'll have a real job during the day. But it was a, a teacher in high school who said, well, you're in all the school plays. Why don't you go to school to be an actress? I was like, well, what? What does that mean? Right. Do they have schools for that? Yeah. But anyway, that's what I ended up doing. You talked about you talked about your mom. She was an actor. Your dad was a musician. Yeah. But did your dad have like a desire to be in the theater as well? No. My father briefly was in the pit of a, a Kafka play when he was a kid. He lived in Brooklyn. And the play was at the Provincetown Playhouse, and he was in the pit playing drums. I see. And so what part of Brooklyn are you from so that Albert can play Brooklyn geography <laughs> with you? <laughs> Greenpoint. My family's nice. from Ainsley Street. Uh, Ainsley Street. Yeah, it's a great area. Very fancy now. Yeah, fancy. I know. It's right. crazy to think. It was not back then. So you graduate college. You go into the big city. You get an agent, or did you get an, have an agent like at a showcase? Yeah, I did. Okay, so you get your agent. You go to the big city and you immediately start working? Well, right out of college, when you go to the school, SUNY Purchase and also Juilliard and I think uh, North Carolina School of the Arts, what they called league schools. And at the end of your four years, you get to put on a show in an audience full of agents, producers who want to see the new talent coming out of the schools. Um, although I was very shy and uh, one of the stars of my class, I was not. Um, but I did very well at those auditions. And I got from that audition, I got a, an agent and um, a job in a movie. So uh, the day after I left college, I had to be on the set of this movie and my new agent and all that. So I thought, I don't know, what's everybody talking about? This is so easy. Yes. <laughs> so I finished the, the movie and then I didn't work for years and years after that. 
How did you live? How did you support yourself? Waitressing and tips and a lot of um, alcohol. And most of my money was spent on cigarettes at the time. Oh my gosh, it's so true. It's like, I remember I, I too got like my first official audition. It was for a soap opera. By the way, did you ever work on a soap opera? I did, I did. Which ones did you work uh, on? I worked on Loving. Oh my gosh, <gasps> oh. we were in the same building. No I worked on All My Children. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. It saved my yeah. life back in the day. It saved me. You know, people think that actors get paid a ton of money. And I always say, like, if you want to take a pay cut in any career path, become an actor. <laughs> but I remember, like, those days, like, deciding, should I buy cigarettes or should I buy the bagel? Oh, <laughs> like, totally. You know, that, yeah. that they were the staples of those very early years in New York for me. So then you drift around. You're working as an actress sometimes, mostly a waitress. Do you ever say... I'm going to quit. I'm going to go back home to Long Island with your parents, right? Was there a moment where you're like, I am not cut out for this? Well, um, there was actually a bit of a nervous breakdown. I guess that's what we call it now. And I forget at what point during all of this, when I was trying to do too many things and I realized it wasn't working and I was in a relationship that was falling apart. I was drinking a great deal and I started having these like pretty ferocious uh, anxiety attacks and I couldn't function. And I had to quit the job. I was stacking shelves at a hardware store at the time. And I just moved home um, because I couldn't function. And I stayed at home for a little bit till I got back on my feet. And then I, I came back, but um, it never occurred to me to do anything else. Cause this is, I, I knew this thing made me happy. I knew that I loved this one thing. I knew that the happiness I knew during the times when I was in a production at that point, it was unrivaled. Of all of your characters, of course, Carmela Soprano, Nurse Jackie, well, who was your favorite? Do, do you have a favorite character? Gosh, I don't know that I do. The ones that I've gotten to play for a long time, they really do get under your skin and they feel like, like a schizophrenic sort of self, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and for that reason, Carmela is still in there, as is Nurse Jackie a bit. But I did a play for a very long time called Sideman, but I, I did it for four years, this play, in various incarnations, Broadway, and we went to London with it, but we started out in little theaters, and I played a character named Terry, Terry Glimmer, and uh, we were all unknown. None of us had money. I think the whole experience it is probably mixed into my feelings about the character, but in terms of my time in this business, that still looms larger than all of them. So you're working, you're doing theater, which I suspect you really love the most because most of the actors I've spoken to, even Mark, my husband, given the opportunity, he'd rather work in, in theater than anywhere else on earth. And to me, like I have anxiety for people I don't know in plays. I'm like, oh <laughs> my God, Billy Crudup is doing a one-man show and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it through the whole thing. I get it. I get it. You don't have that. You don't suffer from any of that. No, because uh, for fear of sounding actory, it's not me up there. I've learned the lines. I know who I'm talking to. And I just, you know, I'm doing something else during that time. And this other person sort of wow. is using my body oh, and I man. thoroughly enjoy it. And you can feel the audience's energy and they're feeding you and all that stuff you hear is entirely true for me. There is not oh. quite like that experience. Um, but, you know, at, at certain levels in the city, it's a business. Like you're doing eight shows a week. And that's like, I think about Nathan Lane, who is always doing a play. I'm so yeah. amazed just at his stamina. And he clearly loves it. But 
I mean, when I do a play and I'm doing eight shows a week, I don't need to do a play for a long time after it. It just wipes you out completely. I think I could do a play for like one night, like a one night only show. That's a lot of rehearsal. And then at the end I die (laughs) because I don't breathe for the whole 90 minutes. I don't take a single breath. That's going to cost you. Yes, absolutely. Right. Exactly. It'll be a showstopper. Oh, totally. Totally. She died doing what she loved. So I want to talk about The Sopranos and reading the pilot script. Your agent sends you the script. Like, give me the whole, like, give me the spiel. No, I, I was, you know, I was busted, broke. And I was doing Oz at the time, the other HBO show. And I was right. finally actually not, I didn't have to waitress. And I was on a show regularly. I was pretty thrilled about all that. And they said, First of all, I'd heard about the, the show already because me and all my little actor friends, we have a little circuit of people who keep in touch. And this is even before texting. But they said, oh, I'm going out on the show called Sopranos and I'm half paying attention. It's obviously a show about singers or something. And that's why I haven't been called when I never thought about it. And then I get this <laughs> I get this message. Oh, they want you to go in. Nobody got the script. We just got a few pages with our lines on it. Mm-hmm. Um and I read it and I was like, yes, I know exactly who this woman is. I know exactly who's going to be cast, but I'll be, I will happily go and do it because I, you know, auditioning was always an opportunity to kind of perform or try something out or whatever. Who, who did you think would be cast? Uh, Marissa Tomei or, or Annabella Sciorra, you know, girls who were all the time playing these sort of Italian-American and beautifully, by the way. Right. But I just thought the way this business goes is that's who they're going to cast. And there's no more powerful place to be when you go into an audition then knowing you're not going to get it and not really caring. Right. So, um, you know, the next day I got the call, you got that thing. I was like, I, I what? I don't even know what it is. I did. I, the whole thing happened so quickly. And you got the hell out of Oz. I got it. <laughs> 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 um, I, you know, in my mind I could do both, but it, I, I didn't realize that was not possible. So I yeah. think they killed me in Oz. Oh no, I went far away. I went to London or something. Oh, you went to London? Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think that it was uh, we should we should look that. Yeah. Albert's <laughs> gonna look it up and tell you what happened to your character. <laughs> so you shoot the pilot, you meet all the other actors. Is there like the table read? There's a chemistry read. Yeah, the table read, which we had before every single episode, which I just loved because there were so many of these actors I didn't work with. You know, she's in the kitchen for the most part, and these guys are off doing all their adventures a lot of times. So I would get to see these guys only at these table reads. But the first one was we were all like giggly and nervous, like every table read. And it was great fun. And with uh, the money I made, I paid off my student loan, which I thought was going to be the rest of my life. I was basically just paying the interest. And I didn't know that that could ever happen. When one fell swoop, it's such a crazy business. I was able to pay off my student loan. Think about that. People need to know that. Like, it wasn't until The Sopranos. Yeah. Like, I am so irritated that students have to incur such debt. Yeah. yeah. Looms over you while you sleep. You know, as a person in a little apartment in New York trying to make it, it's just a constant, like, nagging on your shoulder. So, yes, I wrote a check and I was done. Yeah, I was done. That was just the pilot. And uh, it was just thrilling. Really yeah. thrilling. And so when you guys all got together and you hear this reading and you see these actors, did you all say to yourselves, even silently, I think maybe we have a we have a hit here. This looks like a hit. You know, if anybody knew that, they weren't saying it at that time. Right. I can only speak for myself. I don't recognize a hit when I see one. I have been wrong so many times. And even at that point, I had been wrong. 
times when I was sure something would do well that fell apart or things got attention that I thought were completely uninteresting. So that part of me was defunct. I, I you know, then I think I did the pilot and they let us see it. Maybe I had a little, uh, I think I had a VHS of it and I showed it to my parents and my parents were like, I think this is might be like really good. And I was thrilled, but I, again, I, it's like static. I couldn't, I couldn't tell. I never know. I never know what, what people like to see. You know, so every Sunday we would drive to South Jersey to have Sunday dinner with my parents. But once the Sopranos came out, our Sunday dinners started getting earlier and earlier <laughs> because my parents didn't have HBO. And so we needed to get home so we could watch the Sopranos because I was like, I was like, can we do dinner at 3.50? And they're like, dinner at 3? That's lunch. Yes. And I would say, I we have a TV program that we're, if you would get HBO, we would be able to stay here and have wow. dinner like normal people. Wow. And it's so funny now that my kids, who are now all young adults, discovered The Sopranos for the first time. And they are like, mom, dad, have you ever seen a show called The Sopranos? And I'm like... Guys, try to keep up. Oh, my God. That's funny. I love that. I love that. But uh, I, I was not aware of it. I, I also maybe I protected myself a little bit from news from the outside because it can throw you. You know, it, then you feel like I, I better be able to keep doing this because people like it. You know what I mean? Did you ever grow weary of people assuming that you were married to James Gandolfini <laughs> in real life? I found it so charming, to be honest with you, that because really? what it meant is that people believed it. People believed yeah. us. Like even to this day, when people are genuinely like fans of the show that want to talk about it, um, it's, it's still very moving. I mean, how many actors in their life get to say they've had that experience where they've made people believe the lives of, you know, imaginary people and they have feelings for them. And so I... I never felt anything but grateful when people are polite about it. You know, there are others. Yeah, of course. But, um, but when Jim passed away, the number of condolence emails that I got. That you got. That I got. That I, that I must say I had a moment of, of alarm. Like, wow, this is so skewed. And after a while, I started sending them to Deborah, to his wife. Like, these are meant for you. Um, my own Edie's feelings about Jim passing existed as well, but it was not Carmela and Tony. Yeah. Right. You're not the actual spouse going right. through the That's actual, right. Yeah. right. Um, so uh, in the middle of all of this, did you have breast cancer? Yeah. I had breast cancer. In the middle of The Sopranos? Yeah. And I went to get a mammogram and I found out that day they did a biopsy and the doctor told me that day. And I had to be at work at one in the afternoon, I remember. Um, yeah, it was crazy. And I, you know, everybody does this differently. I am a very private person by nature. Uh, so anyway, I didn't want anyone to know. I didn't want anyone to know. I told the producer of Sopranos, Eileen Landris. And what she did is she scheduled my work days around the chemo. So it wouldn't be like the next day. It would give me a little recovery time. And the hair I had been using up to that point was my own hair. So, of course, I lost my hair and they made wigs for me and nobody could tell. Nobody knew the difference. Um, nobody knew. So none of your co-stars didn't know. No, it was very important to me that they didn't. I don't do well with with too much. Like, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? Oh, yes. It doesn't work right. for me. It makes me, I, I just need to do my work. Let me deal with my feelings. Yeah. You know, my therapist has lots to say about that, but this is who I am.
I know what I'm buying my mom friends for Mother's Day. Fiori joggers. Jana's obsessed. My stylist Audrey is obsessed. So I know they're a sure hit. And if any one of my family or friends are listening to this podcast, hint, hint, these would be a great gift for me. They're designed with their dream knit stretch fabric, which I love because they're so ridiculously comfortable, but yet look so good. By the way, they're not just for women. I'm ordering them right now for Mark because Father's Day is right around the corner. No matter how you stay active, running, swimming, yoga, or just running weekend errands, Viore is for you. Viore is offering Let's Talk Off Camera with Kelly Ripper listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at fiori.com slash off camera. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash off camera. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viori.com slash off camera and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Melojo, my production company, is such a small business, so when we hire someone, it makes a huge impact. And Albert, I know you wear so many hats over there, you might not have the time or the resources to hire, but LinkedIn changes all of that. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. So Albert, the next time we're hiring, if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. We got Roz, so we know it works. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash off camera. That's linkedin.com slash off camera to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Albert, I know you're too busy to be frizzy. So grab Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I'm loving it because it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching my bone dry hair with intense hydration. And during the summer, that's something we could all use. You'll also be way obsessed with Way's bestsellers like I am. My new favorite is their scalp and body scrub. It's a blend of sugar and coconut oil that cleanses, exfoliates, and moisturizes all at once on your scalp and your skin. I'm also really into their Wave Spray for this summer. It's a weightless, salt-free mist that gives you that just out of the ocean and my hair dried perfectly look. You know, like that look that is so unattainable. (laughs) It doesn't make my hair crunchy at all. And it's super easy to use. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code off camera for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com promo code off camera. But I, I sort of understand that I had two separate girlfriends that actually passed away from cancer and I had no idea that they were ill. And our friend group didn't know they were ill. Yeah. And so you're left there saying, we are bad friends. We didn't ask the right questions. But when somebody carries on, like I really understand that need for privacy and not wanting to have that how are you? What can I do for yeah. you? When you want to just 
keep on keeping on and get on with it. I, I really understand that mindset. But how did, so a reporter though leaked it. Yes. Uh, New York Post. Um, I can't believe I can't think of her name. But yeah, she apparently, the story goes, she contacted my agents or something and said, we know that Edie has cancer. We're going to print something about it. Then, did that piss you yeah, off? Were you pissed? I was so upset. It really made it 50 times harder for me to have people on the street stopping me. Oh my God. And that wanting to, my mother had cancer. I lost my sister to cancer. Some people thrive on that kind of energy and like feeling connected. I needed to do this my own way. I needed to go through this and uh, recover from it and then come out and talk about it. That's, I, which is not to say it's the right way. It is definitely my way. And so it made it much, much harder. And then years later at a Vanity Fair dinner, I saw a name tag and it was the reporter who had outed that the woman. Yes. I can't. It's so funny. Her name is gone from my head. Um, well, she's dead to us. Yeah. <laughs> I went up to her and I said, I'm, I'm Edie Falco. I know who you are. And I said, I have to let you know that you made my life so much more difficult by printing that story about my, my cancer. And she said, well, if it wasn't us, it would have been someone else. And I said, well, then let someone else do it. I mean, it's a woman to woman. Uh, you know, I hope you never get cancer and know what this was like, but I needed to be left alone. Um, anyway, then she said in some other interview, or her, her, it's her agents that told us about it, or, or some kind of thing. Wait, so her whole response was not like, you know what, in hindsight, you're absolutely right. You are entitled to your medical right. autonomy and privacy. Her if it wasn't me, it would have been somebody else. That's right. That's right. Absolutely right. I mean, I sounds I, like she's her, doing the right job then. I said, you, you should know there are ramifications to the actions you take. And I am one of them. And you made my life really, really difficult in terms of my cancer. You know, I'm in a business where this kind of thing happens and you learn to roll with it. But that was as hard as it got for me. I don't have like big gossip items about, you know, dating and all kinds of scandal and stuff. But that was huge. No, that is, that is huge. And it's definitely a, a violation for oh, sure. Totally. But one of so many in this business, you know. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So then take me into the world of Nurse Jackie, who I think is probably, in my opinion, the most complex character I've ever seen played out on television. Mm -hmm. And I think so relatable to so many families across America. Addiction in this country is such a, a, I don't want to say like it's typical. It's tip. I don't know any family not touched by addiction. Absolutely. Take me into the world of playing that role. Yeah, as you said, it's not, it's not like there isn't a person in the world who, who, who could not relate to her. Uh, she's ultimately a good person with, you know, according to the 12 step programs with a disease the disease of addiction, which really will have its way with you unless you are very strongly armed against it. And, you know, a lot of us who've been around the 12-step programs, you learn those tools, you learn to use them, and you, you start to realize also it is a, it is a for, formidable foe. And if you don't make it the center of your life, getting sober. And staying sober. And staying sober, you're going to lose that. Anything you put before your sobriety, you will lose is one of the things they say in AA. Um and she, you know, was about working, about working hard, about taking care of people who, who didn't have much. And her sobriety was, I guess, something she always thought, eh, you know, I'm fine. I'm, I'm dealing with it, which so many people, I think, also believe. But you, you, I mean, you're very open about this, that you've been sober for 
what, 29 years? 30. It'll be 31. 30. Next month will be 31. 31 years. Yeah. Wow. And so I, I know a lot of people are like, it's very taboo to talk about, like talk about their sobriety. So I'm like, I ask you these questions gingerly and you can tell me to fuck off and no. we'll move on. So when you play a character like Nurse Jackie, like, are you afraid there's going to be a trigger in this for me? Well, when I signed on to Nurse Jackie, this whole drinking, drugging thing was not a part of the story. That kind of came on over time. And we decided that this was something that was going to be. But I already at that point had had such a distance from my own using that it didn't feel scary. For a long time after having cancer, uh, I would get a role. This one has breast cancer. And I was like, I, nah, I can't. I just know, again, intrinsically, I'll get a feeling if it's something, a place I want to go to explore or if it feels too dangerous. It didn't feel too dangerous with Nurse Jackie, mostly. There were some scenes where I had to get really messed up. And all it made me feel was grateful that yeah. I am not in the throes of that anymore. Gratitude is a really big thing, I think, when you talk to people who have gone into a 12-step program or rehab. And I always find it so interesting that sometimes there's like a rock bottom moment. Right. Or was it a series of events for you? No, I was very lucky. It was actually just a few blocks from where I am now in the West Village. I lived over here and uh, had a particularly debaucherous evening and woke up the next morning in my clothes in my apartment, which was teeny. It was one room with the door wide open and my clothes on. And I, it was like, oh, instead of I have to stop, it was, oh, I'm done. It just was as easy as that. I didn't know how I was going to do it because my life was so wrapped up in alcohol and drinking buddies. And it was so much a part of my social life. I didn't know how to do it. But luckily I had had sober friends who went before me who I was like, what are you guys doing? You know, now I needed to actually find out. And it was those friends who got sober before me said, come with me, we're going to meetings and stuff. But I just knew that morning when I woke up, holy crap, I can finally be done with this. I was just done. Did it feel like a relief? On a level, it felt like a relief. I also knew it was terrifying. Like I had to change everything about my life. So much of my social life revolved around going out drinking. And I was a very social person at the time, you know, but I just knew I was done. Did you have any friends that reached out to you and said, um, I've been thinking about quitting drinking or I've been thinking about uh, stopping whatever it is they're doing, right? But they're, they come to you for advice because they're afraid that they won't be as interesting as they were? Yeah, totally. I've had a lot of people come to talk to me about wanting to get sober or they're newly sober and how to navigate the things in this business and... Uh, I totally get it. And I'm thrilled to be able to talk to people about that. Um, I think it was um, Gary Oldman, who was a, famously a user back in the day, and he quit. A whole article he wrote about thinking that being like a drinker and a drug addict is sort of at the center of who I am and how I get my creativity and how that keeps people in the mess, you know, for so long. And that he said, I'm here to tell you from the other side, it's just not true. It's not true that this talent I have, this passion I have are bigger than and existed before my addiction. The addiction is nothing more than a roadblock to the channel from which this stuff comes. You know what I mean? It was the most beautifully written and by somebody cool. Like he is cool. Take, yeah, exactly. He would take for his word. And um, yeah. I was so grateful for that article. It was years ago at this point, but he got it right. So you now have two teenage children. 
Now, if anything will challenge a person's sobriety, <laughs> it's, it's two teenage children. Walk me through your life. You adopted them when they were babies? Yes, when they were infants, yeah. They were and I just think it's so, uh, A, amazing, B, smart, C, had to be overwhelming. You did it yourself. And take me through your mindset about like, you were just like one day you said, you know what? I want to have kids. I'm going to adopt right now. Yes. It really was almost that sudden. It was right after I got a clean bill of health when I realized, I guess I'm not going to die from this. And I had just ended a very important relationship where I thought kids were going to be a part of it. Well, it crashed and burned. And I was clear from cancer. And I thought, well, no one's ever going to tell you this is the time. But if ever there was a time, this seemed like it. Look, I know you know that I know that you know how busy we all get. Ollie can help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four years and up. And the new Ollie Brainy Chews support healthy brain function with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ollie! Are you tired of scrubbing your bathroom clean? I am. Transform your bathroom cleaning with wet and forget weekly shower cleaner. Just spray today and rinse tomorrow for a no-scrub clean. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, it's your once-a-week solution to keeping your tub and shower surfaces sparkling clean. Available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. Join thousands who have switched to an easier clean. Get Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and make your bathroom sparkle with zero scrubbing. It was right after I got a clean bill of health and I had just ended a very important relationship and I was uh, in touch with Rosie O'Donnell a little bit back then and she said, whenever you're ready, let me know. I've got all kinds of numbers for you. And that's what I did. She gave me the number of a lawyer and got the whole ball rolling when my son was adopted 18 years ago, and then my daughter almost 15 years ago. That sounds crazy to me because I remember, like, you coming on my show. I, like, I thought you were going to say, like, maybe they're 12 and 13. or They're, like, grown, grown up. Yeah. Son is taller than me. Uh-huh. My daughter is angrier than me. <laughs> well, good. Then that's, they sound very normal. Thank God for that. Thank God I know that this is all normal. Otherwise, I would think, holy mackerel, I messed up big time. Do you you see them in the entertainment industry? You know, my daughter is actually interested in makeup and always has been. And so I think she may want to be like a makeup person. No kidding. That's today. You know what I mean? It's it's ever-changing. You should know they've got a great summer program at NYU in um, special effects makeup. Unbelievable. So you should check it out because my son went to it and he wound up going to NYU uh, film school. Oh, how great. He loved that makeup class. That's it really taught him so much. I think he'd be really good at it too. And your son, is he going to, is he in college? Is he going to go to college? No, he's in high school still. And I don't know if he's going to go to college. You know, I, he is yeah. really hated school from a very young age. He is not motivated uh, to be a good student. 
I, what can I it's say? It's not for everybody. I didn't go to college. Most of the people I know, especially actors, didn't go to college. And I yeah. did go to college, but I, I don't know how much it has to do with why I'm working now. I, going to acting school was a complicated experience for me, but I don't think college is for everyone. And so I, I, um, I'm going to let him find his way and, and see what he wants to do. What does he show interest in right now? Oh, gaming. Oh, well, that's, I mean, listen. He's convinced he can support, you know, many a family with um, with the money he can make. But I, yeah, I hate to say this. He's probably right. I, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, if I had just listened to my kids when they were like, Mom, we want to start a YouTube channel. I know. I, I'm starting, you know, I do feel my, my generational age. Like, maybe I really don't know what's going on. Maybe I should let them, you know, explore some of this stuff. It just, it's terrifying to me, as you know. You know, we've had three kids, so it's like we have like this really um, great, like zoomed out perspective that the less involved we are, the better off our kids are. I get it. I've, how many times I've said, like, I don't think my parents knew where my school was. They just knew it <laughs> the morning. And I assumed I was doing that during the day and I'd come home and, you know. And I, that's how you find your way. And that's how you become who you ultimately are. I mean, there's probably a happy medium there. But the way we are taught to parent these days, it's so invasive. And my kid says it all the time. Get out of my face. Let me do this thing. But yeah. I, I'm afraid not to for fear of, you know, neglect or whatever, you know. With each kid, you figure it out better. Yeah. And with our first kid, we like hovered. Like, I mean, my mother-in-law would hold a mirror over his face to see if he was breathing while he was an infant. And then by the time Joaquin came around, I like Lola was 14 months old and I handed her her three-day-old brother and I said, I, mommy has to shower. Just don't drop the baby. You know what I mean? I totally get it. I totally get it. Edie, can you tell me what drew you to Buddhism? Um, you know, it's, I'm always reluctant to say I'm a Buddhist, though I keep saying it. Uh, I have been a, like, a student, <laughs> a student yes. of Buddhism for 25 years um, with the same teacher. Uh, and it is endlessly, uh, it fills me still, and more so each time I go. Um, I attend the classes of this teacher, and he'll talk for an hour, and we'll meditate for a half hour, and I leave there a different person. I just feel like a different person. The world looks different. The world feels different. Um, and my original interest in it was just was meditation. Learn to meditate. It was on like a telephone pole. And I went there, and there was this teacher, and I went for a long time. I loved it, and then I kind of got busy and lost track of it, and I think I found another poster on another thing. And I went to that and it was the same teacher in a different location. And then that happened again. I got busy, lost track. And then I was like, oh my God, clearly this guy is supposed to be my teacher. If you believe in such things, which I sometimes do, I go there as often as I'm able, depending on my, my schedule. And I, I learn from this man and other teachers there and we meditate and we learn Buddhist principles and my life feels better as a result of it. So but I wasn't raised in any religion. So I, I was given oh, that wow. freedom to kind of uh, look around and see what was interesting. And I've landed here and I haven't left because to this day, all of it makes sense to me and makes me feel better. Jan wants to know what are some of the principles. I want to study it. Oh, it's, it's very, very deep stuff. We are all seeing the world in a way that it doesn't really exist. Like we look at something that's red, no, that's red, but it's only red because we've decided it's red. Like we together as a group. And so we say certain things are good and certain things are bad. When in fact, these are all just decisions we've made. And we can, in fact, 
make other decisions about every single thing in your life. You feel like you were born believing certain things, but you weren't. So you can change what you believe in. And what if you believe that things are basically good, that people are kind and worthy of your compassion? It's psychological and philosophical and scientific, you know, and they say, don't just believe these things because I'm saying them, try it out. Meditate on a certain principle and see if it makes you feel better. Edie would be a terrible Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know I would. Albert and I are Catholics, you know, and the foundation of our religion is that we are sinners and that God let his son get crucified because we're such, we're so bad. When you walk into a church, it's literally Jesus suffering on the cross. But when you look at like Buddha, he's a happy dude. He seems so (laughs) happy. Yeah. Happy and peaceful. I know. I know. But, you know, you have, I assume, generations and generations of, like, DNA that believed in this particular religion, and it's very hard to turn away from it. I'm grateful that I didn't have that. Our parents are all still with us, knock on wood. Uh And so Albert and I could never become Buddhists, you know, not while they're still here. God forbid. God forbid. God forbid. God forbid. (laughs) Well, according to Buddhism, even when they're not there, they're still there. There's absolutely no escape. I want to I want to get out of religion right now because I can feel my parents calling. Me. Like they somehow know that I'm talking to you about oh, Buddhism. About to ring. I want to talk about Bupkis. This is your new show on Peacock. It is. It is. It'll air, I think, in May. I'm very excited about it. I hope it's. I hope you like it. Who's the, Who's your character? I am Pete Davidson's mother. But it's loosely based on his life, right? It is loosely based on his life. Growing up in Staten Island, and he's a successful, you know, SNL guy. Yes. Probably more than loosely based on his life. And he has a sister who's played by Una Roach, this beautiful young actress who's just delightful. And uh, Joe Pesci plays my father, his grandfather. And it was so off the beaten track for the kind of stuff that I get cast in. I kept looking at them like, are you sure? sure that's that's me that's supposed to be here like you know we get there and they're like you know what forget those lines so the whole thing was like flying by the seat of your pants which is like to some people it's like the actor's nightmare but I just felt so completely freed by it like to just be silly and say things that were like funny and not based in in you know my years of training or whatever it was just hilarity but I thoroughly enjoyed it so give me a little bit about Pete Davidson. You you tell me, what is it about him? What What's the thing? He is really, really lovable when you get in there. Uh, and also, right. I mean, I played his mother. So I was that was already kind of built in. It starts to happen quickly. And I have a son, you know, a, a quirky son, not as old as Pete. But so yeah. I already had this kind of thing about it. But um, he's self-deprecating to a fault. Like he is probably more confused than most about why he is dating all these famous, you know, beautiful women and has such great success. He literally is just like sort of tiptoeing, waiting for the, the cane to come and pull him away. And there's something incredibly refreshing about that. But he is funny and he is adorable. He has a giant smile. Yeah. He's really, really tall, like surprisingly tall. I didn't realize that. I just found him lovely to be around. Well, I saw that movie. I saw the movie, uh, The King of Staten Island. I don't know if you saw that. I did. I did see it. I thought it was charming. 
I found him very endearing in that as well. I find him to be an endearing person. Absolutely right. I mean, there's no way you can't like the guy. Like there was a scene in that movie where he was walking down the street holding the hands of those little kids. And he really is like that guy. Like he sort of loves little kids and so not what one would think of someone in his position. Well, um, Edie, this has been as delightful as I knew it would be. I love talking to you and um, I appreciate you taking part in our little podcast. Thank you so much. And we will all tune into Bupkis on Peacock when it streams in May. I look forward to it. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. She's cool. She's cool, right? Yeah. Normal person. I love her so much. You know, Albert, when I got live with uh, Regis and Kelly, she was like in year two, I think, of The Sopranos. And so she and I were like constantly on the same talk show circuit. (laughs) We were on Celebrity Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Oh, my God. And my big takeaway is that she was always nice and always normal. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, and then like the idea of being a working mom and doing it alone and then even the cancer part, like it's just amazing what she's been through. And she seems so cool and so chill. Maybe I should look into the Buddhism thing. I've been thinking about (laughs) it for a long time. And I think I know the place that she goes. It's right around the block for me. It's great. Of course it is. It's great. (laughs) We should all go. Let's all go. Maybe that'll we could do a podcast from there. I, you know, <laughs> you know, would, would that be weird to the Buddhists if we show up with microphones? I, I mean, I could talk about her for hours, but I can't because Jan is telling me to wrap it up. <laughs> Listen, everyone, we are a new show in a sea of podcasts. Don't forget to tell your friends that Let's Talk Off Camera is available every week on Amazon Music, and make sure to follow us. Can't wait to talk off camera next week. Let's Talk Off Camera with Kelly Ripa is a co-production of Melojo Productions and PRX Productions with help from Goat Rodeo. Our theme song is Follow Me from APM Music. From Melojo, our team is Kelly Ripa, Mark Consuelos, Albert Bianchini, Jan Chalet, Devin Schneider, Michael Halpern, Jacob Small, Roz Therian, Seth Gronquist, and Nick Ribola. From PRX Productions, our team is Kara Schillen, Genevieve Sponsler, Megan Nidolsky, Edwin Ochoa, Rebecca Seidel. Additional sound design by Terrence Bernardo. The executive producer of PRX Productions is Jocelyn Gonzalez. This show is powered by Stitcher. From PRX. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.